0: Welcome to Financially Free Podcast with your host Nay Torres. One of the reasons Nay could retire when he was 25 years old is because he was coached by the best. And now through this podcast, so can you. Welcome everybody to the podcast. Today we have a talk with Jason Everett. How are you, Jason?
1: What's up, Nay? Dude, I'm awesome. Glad to, glad to hear your voice and uh, and see your mugshot today, man. It's it's been a while, man. It's we met
0: 13 years ago. And a coaching training Crazy. called sales partners direct by Blair singer, who yeah. is, uh, the first reach that advisor, I guess he, he, was, yeah. he will train us in, in speaking in public and sales.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I'm selling, uh, speaking in public sales and, and doing uh, coaching and training, which he, he's amazing. I mean, dude, that, that guy is a beast at training trainers. He is the master of training trainers. He, he a lot of people don't know who Blair singer is. But if you really look at some of the biggest teachers, speakers, and leaders on planet Earth, chances are they've been through his program and know him very well. He's kind of the under-the-radar ninja master that everybody knows. About. And that's what I love about these
0: podcasts. I just find yeah. those people and sometimes we get to interview them. So it's, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, and, and we started a business here, here with Blair. I know you did too. But you yeah. continued. You, you, I went into real estate eventually, yeah. but continued. And I, that's why we're talking today. I just want to see what you have learned in this last 13 years, how your story. So why don't you explain us where you started?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, man, I mean, it's crazy. When you said 13 years, I was like, dang, that's been a long time. But yeah, it's been a long time of us uh, creating the business. And and again, the franchise isn't around anymore, but I kind of pivoted and I'm still in the same vein. Like I still do coaching, training, leadership all over the world. And now I do it with uh, the beauty industry. And we're one of the largest beauty training companies on the planet. It's called High Performance Salon, highperformancesalon.com. And uh, it allows you, we go in to help train and elevate the salon industry. And our mission of the High Performance Salon Academy is to elevate the way that the rest of the world perceives the beauty industry. So I think it's an industry that kind of gets a bad rap sometimes, right? And people go, oh, if you're broke, then you become a salon owner and all this stuff. And our job is to elevate the way the world perceives them. So that's my job every day. How did I get to that point? How do we become one of the largest digital training companies for the salon industry? Well, dude, you know, like you said 13 plus years ago or longer, like my my crazy path of what I've done is I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur, business owner. All of my parents, you know, grandparents, great grandparents, etc., have owned companies, and so I grew up, you know, being 8 and 10 years old hanging out at my 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 parents' business. And I grew up in a really small town. Where either your parents owned a business or your parents worked for somebody who owned a business. What was really interesting about that is that when I got into like the regular job marketplace and started working and doing things, it was very awkward to work for companies because the one of the first jobs I ever had was a big company. Was we working for a very large uh, telecommunications company in the Sacramento area, which is where I live, outside of Northern California. In Northern California, you know, they would tell me things like, "Oh, if the if the printer's broken, you've got to call the IT department," or if you need to use a computer, your assistant's supposed to do it or don't ever spend time. And I was like, I've never worked for a company because I've always worked for my parents. I'd never worked for a company that had like, there's certain people who do certain things. It was like, I was always, you had to do it yourself because you're the business owner and you got to do you got to know how to do everything, right? I've always been in that environment. So fast forward my life, I've always been like, I would consider myself to be a pretty decent employee because I would take ownership, and responsibility, always treated the company like it was my own. And what happened was I'd worked for a bunch of different companies. The last company I was an employee of, like a a regular employee, um, I took that company. They were a small company, 3 people. They were doing $300,000 a year in sales. I came out of the company and took them to $1.7 million in business within the 3 or 4 years I think it took me to get them to that size. Helped them massively grow as an employee. But... I didn't own the business. And so there was a lot of conflict because as I was growing sales and making more money, my boss kept changing my commission. So it went from like 15% down to 10, down to eight, or to, yeah, like 10, then nine, then eight, then down to, if you don't pay me, I'm not showing up to work tomorrow. <laughs> and then that was my last day there. That was, that was it. I, I called him out and he didn't like it. And I, I started my own company. And so you know, it's been... I've actually owned the, the sales training company now. This is my 11th year anniversary. So I met Blair and you back Thirteen years ago, eleven years ago, we officially started business, and I've been running it for for uh, those eleven years. And now we're well into the seven figures, and have just been really growing like gangbusters, man. And I don't know if that's what you were wanting to find out, but you know, for all of you guys listening and paying attention, man, it's it was blood, sweat, and tears. Cause I thought I thought for sure I was going to be at eleven, you know, or at, at seven figures, you know, being over a million dollars in the first year. Cause I'd already done it, and it took it took way longer. You know, only 5% of companies on planet Earth ever get above a million dollars. And even fewer of those stick around for more than 10 years. And we've been able to do that, which I, I take a lot of pride in. Excellent. So, to everybody
0: listening, I bet the question in their mind is how do you raise sales? How do you actually go into a business? Because most people right now probably are thinking into going into business or they already have one and they're like, okay, how do I get to over 70 years? What's the trick?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. So there's no like one trick, right? Like everybody's always like, I think anybody who sells you, there's one trick. As long as you buy my program that costs $1,000, I'll give you my one trick. First of all, I don't have a program to sell you guys. So I'm just going to tell you like it is. But I think one of the things that comes up is like when I first worked for somebody else, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the reality check I had. I was really good at sales, meaning, you know, I'd get on the phone with people and I could, you know, like I was doing the math the other day. Like I've probably made upwards of fifteen to twenty million dollars in sales in my lifetime. You know, like for some people that's not a lot. For some people that's a lot. You know, like you you got to decide. You know, some people sell million dollar houses every day. I'm talking about income that people generated directly to me that was commissionable and things like that. And and I think I've always kind of had that gift. And I see sales very simply. And Blair, who we talked about earlier, wrote a book called Sales Dogs, which I I read forever ago. It's a great book. If you don't know it but I read this book called Sales Dogs. And one of the things that I think is powerful about sales is sales is just about solving problems for people. If they have a problem and you can solve it, then a sale is made. So it's, it's about making sure that you can add value to people when they need something and you solve it with a solution that then costs money. Right? Like That's, that's it. It's, it's business ownership 101. Right? Like, People need water when they go to an event. So if you're the water vendor, you're going to sell water. It's pretty straightforward. You know, there's a lot of people who brag about why well, I can sell ice to Eskimos and what that means. I can sell things to people who don't need it. That's, that's basically what they say. I don't like that brag. That's not my jam. The way I like to do it is I sell things that people, re- I find out what people really, really need and I give it to them in exchange for money and usually in exchange for way less money than they think it would cost. And that to me is sales, is giving people something like, hey, what would you pay to solve that problem? $10,000. Cool. I solved it for $5,000. Would you want it? And they go, yes! That's how I sell, man. So I built this whole business around solving problems that salon owners have for way less money than they thought it would take to solve it. And it's helped grow us into a massive training company. So one
0: important thing that I think you can give us or the people listening is, most people don't like sales. Why do you think that is? And uh, what, what could you see planned on their mind so they can change that point of view or perspective?
1: I, I think people don't like sales because they perceive salespeople as giving... So it's, it's, uh, it's they, they perceive it's selling somebody something they don't perceive they want and or need. Okay? So it's like sales is like, I know you didn't want this, but I'm going to force you to take it. Now there's a definition, and I got this from Blair too. Actually, I'll happily talk about his stuff from sales, but also chat with him too. Is that there's a word abuse, right? To abuse someone, and I don't mean like physically abuse, but basically the, the word abuse in general means give something to somebody they don't want and or need. You give something to somebody, like and again, that could be physical abuse. Not talking about that for a second, but like you know, if you were giving somebody to something you don't want and or need, like even if I pat you on the back and you don't want it, nay. That's a level of abuse, right? Because I'm giving you something you don't want and or need. Now, again, it can go different than that. But it's, that's abuse. And I think that a lot of people see sales as forcing somebody to give you money for something they don't want and or need. But I don't see sales that way. And if you, hopefully, if you're listening, you just get my, my tone on this. Is that like, if I said, you're really thirsty and I've got a bottle of water, like that's not sales. It's serving. And serving, by the way, is the opposite of selling, is that serving is bringing something to somebody that they do want and or need. So I don't look at sales as forcing or abusing. I look at sales as serving. And I think that's my perspective on sales. You know, and I think what happens is people get in the sales role and they go, get out there and sell. And it's like this top down forced on you, make money, get out there. I don't care who you serve versus I I wanna, dude, I'll kind of make a big statement here that maybe we can go in a different direction, but like the internet has changed the game of sales, okay? So here here's why. It used to be that wherever you lived, if you were going to sell something, the only people you could sell to are within whatever radius you could walk to, you could drive to, or for a long time, who you could call on the phone, which that gave you a lot more reach, right? You could sell those people. Well, this really cool thing called the internet showed up. And then if I want to sell somebody something that lives in Ecuador that has that has the same problem that I solve a solution for, bro, we can jump on a video call. I can get you on Facebook. Like We can do all kinds of things. And now all of a sudden, the amount of people that actually want what I have is infinite. It's billions of people. It's billions. And here's the thing. There's billions of people on this planet. If I could just find 100,000 people that have what I need, it's really good. So, What changed when the internet came out is it became not a sales game anymore. It's still sales in the sense of serving, but it became a marketing game because you could have a solution. And this is what I believe about everybody listening to this show right now, is that you probably have a solution that thousands of people would like to know, but you don't know how to get in front of them. So the problem is, is you need to be good at marketing and at sales. And I define again, sales as serving. Love it. Yeah.
0: That's the best way to explain it. Yeah, for sure. And nobody's going to give you a dollar if they don't. Um, you have to find a way to communicate what you're, you're proposing, you're serving.
1: Yeah. As you got to learn how to present. You got to learn how to position it, which again, is all marketing, whether that's one-on-one or as a group.
0: Yeah. yeah. So people can take their money out and say, please take it. So right. yeah, being an entrepreneur and, and, and is really about serving others the best way you can you grow. Absolutely. So you walk into, into a business. How do, what's, what's your paradigm
1: or frame in your mind to start tackling uh, how to serve better, how to raise sales? Well, I do a lot of observing first. I mean, when I go into a company and look at what they're doing, I got to evaluate what's going on. I mean, at this, at this end of the business, because we exclusively work in the beauty industry, salons, spas, spas, things like that, is that I kind of know what I'm walking into because I've done it so many times. I mean, for, you know, out of my 11 years of owning the company, the first six years of it, we were doing general coaching. I mean, we'd work with anybody. So I'd work with a carpet cleaner and a marketing firm and a salon and all these other things. Now we only work with salons. So, you know, for us as a coaching and training industry, I mean, we have like an online library that's like Netflix. It's over 250 hours worth of online training program just for the salon and spa industry. And you know it's it's one of those things where now uh, I don't have to worry about like walking in and evaluating from zero and going like what is this business about because I really know salons and spas really well. But that being said, I can like I was just on the phone with another friend of mine learning about his business. My job is to walk in, learn as much as I can, not so much about the business but about the owner. Because, you know, the business is really a reflection of the owner, as you and I both know, and we've learned from Blair too, one of his other books, uh, Little Voice Mastery, is that the, the little voice and the, the little voice, right, the internal dialogue of the business owner, that that will control more of the business than anything else.
0: I agree. Yeah. And, and can you tell me your experience? Because on, one of the things I understood from, from coaching businesses at the beginning is that business owners really need help, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of lonely to be in business you're in business by yourself kind of, sure. uh, nobody really understands you. There's no like support groups for that. Go can explain or help you what, when you need help, but then they get coaching and then they find their problem really is themselves. And right. the kind of person that goes into business are
1: hard to coach. Sometimes agree yeah. you that your experience different. So when the first year I was in coaching, somebody said something to me that really resonated with me deeply. What they said is they said they only work with entrepreneurs that have been in business for at least five years. I thought, well, that, that's kind of silly. Like, why not help somebody who's been in business for one year? And they said, you know, people who've been in business one or two years still think they know everything. Right? Now, here's here's how I look at that, Nay. When I was an employee, and there's a really another good book out there by a guy named Michael Gerber called The E-Myth. And the E-Myth talks about people have what's called an entrepreneurial seizure. They're technicians like they're a plumber and they go to work every day as a plumber and they work for the boss and they know the boss makes millions of dollars. And they're like, well, I don't make millions of dollars. This is a problem, right? Like I'm not making millions. So I'm a really frustrated technician. I'm a good plumber. I could run it. I do all the work anyway. I'm going to go start my own plumbing company. So I opened Jason's plumbing company only to find out that there's so many other aspects of running a quote business besides the plumbing that I fall flat on my face. And by the way, I have that story. When I was in sales, again I said I like I, my brag earlier was right. I created one from three hundred thousand to one point seven million dollars. Great as being in sales, but you know what? To this day, even eleven years later, still continues to be a, a something that I need to get better at or I deserve to get better at is accounting. Accounting isn't my favorite thing, and it's it's been one of the things that really kicked my butt for the first you know five years of my business. I only focused on sales, 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 but it was like I wasn't keeping the money; it was just flying out the back door because my accounting wasn't as strong as it could be. So now I've gotten some amazing resources. Uh, there's a great book called Profit First by Mike Michalkiewicz. There's another amazing book by Keith Cunningham. There's lots of books by Keith Cunningham on, on finance. And it's like I've had to become a student of that. And now I would say at this point, I'm pretty good at it, but it could always be better. I know that that's the area of my business that that's, is underperforming. So I think when you're an employee and you're like, well, how do I, you know, how do I start my own company? You know, don't start a company because you're a frustrated employee. Don't start a company because you think your boss is mean. You know, don't start a company because you would give yourself more vacation time. Because here, here's what happens. If you're a horrible employee, you're going to also become a horrible business owner. And I, I mean that. Like, people are like, Oh, I'm a terrible employee. I want more time off. Like I, I mean people all the time. I want to take more time off. I want to make more money. I want to grow, which is good. People aspire to do that. But that's their primary reason for starting a business. And so they start a business and they end up working 10 times harder than they did as an employee, right? And they don't, and like I, you know, I didn't take a paycheck for years after making a ton of money. I was making a lot of money. I literally went to a zero paycheck for almost two years. And like, if people are like, oh, I want to own a business, so I make way more money than I do now, are you willing to sacrifice, right? I've got a, there's a quote in here, used to be in my office. It said, entrepreneurs, are willing to sacrifice... I, I don't have the thing right here, but up to my best. But it was Nine like... Five. Yeah, it, w- it was like... It, it just said people are willing to sacrifice income now to have income and freedom later, something like that. And and I think that a lot of people that are employees are like, well, I would never give up my money right now. You know, I, I need to have it right now. Well, then you probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur because there's going to be a massive punch-in-the-face learning curve that happens. Nobody ever believes it's going to happen. It happened to me. I was a frustrated employee, thought it was incredible at sales, which I am pretty good. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I've been teaching it for a long time, but, but I was good at sales and didn't understand the rest of the business, didn't understand all the hiring and firing and the you know, employee management. And I still get schooled on things on a regular basis where I got to learn how to better compensate people and you know, to keep them happier long-term. So it's, it's a growth game that can be extremely rewarding, but it involves a lot of risk.
0: And, and you said a couple of things that came to mind. First of all, Business owners are the only people that sacrifice nine to five to work like sixteen hours a day, eighteen hours a day.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah, they give up nine to five to work ten times harder.
0: Exactly. It's like when people tell me that I I, I use this this comparison. It's like having a baby to have peace. Yes, totally. It's well like having said. a baby. You want peace? Don't have a babies just yet. Right.
1: No. Well, there's people who say who do things like we're ha- we're we're awkward in our relationship and it's not going really well. You know what would fix it? A baby. Baby, yeah, no, that, that baby ain't gonna fix it, and that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Is if like you're already having a hard time going to work every day and sacrificing all your time, and you feel like it's a waste of time. Don't start a business because that's going to be even harder. It should be, I'm really good at what I do. I want to go further. I'm willing to go spend that 10 years raising a baby, that 15 years raising a baby, whatever it's going to be for you to start a business. It's a great analogy.
0: And, and you mentioned Kit Cunningham, one of the reasons I, um, I yeah, if anybody yeah. can get his hands into, their hands into books from Kit Cunningham, he is, mm-hmm. uh, he has such a capacity to, to bring down the complex concepts to, to simple ones. Absolutely. I got out of college, with a finance degree. And I couldn't read, I didn't really understand financial statements until I went mm. to his class.
1: Somebody- Dude, Keith, Keith made me feel like I went to a kindergarten class. He, he made accounting feel like I was learning kindergarten stuff. And his, his, one of his key books is uh, Keys to the Vault. Uh, he has a new book out called Road Less Stupid the last couple of years, but Keys to the Vault, man, that, that is the book that uh, really solidified and, and is such, he's such a great simplistic teacher. Is a really powerful guy to watch for sure.
0: Exactly. And one of the things Keith taught me too is the e-myth, what, exactly what the e-myth says. is like, it's okay to have a job because some people that come out with, um, you know, this financial freedom mindset, I was one of them at the beginning. I just thought, you know, if you have a job, you're not really going to get financial freedom. And I didn't realize having a job is part of the process. Mm-hmm. Having a job is where you learn all your skills. As you get paid. How did you find this? Is a question I have for you is how did you find a niche and how did you decide to stay with it?
1: Yeah, like why did we get into salons? Yeah, yeah. So, there, first of all, there's a couple rules about having a niche that I've learned and adapted over the years that are really, really helpful because, you know, for if you're listening right now and you already have a business, one of the biggest mistakes, and I, I will never forget learning about niching down my business, is that I remember there was a guy I used to work with when I was in advertising. And he was a, an insurance sales guy. And I remember him saying one day in one of our networking groups, he was like, you know, if, if they can fog a mirror, I need to meet them because everybody needs insurance. And I remember thinking in the back of my head about, you know, car insurance, for example, I was like, what about people who don't have a car? Do they need insurance? And his argument would be like, oh, of course, because they might have a house. Oh, they might have an apartment. Everybody needs insurance. And I'm like, that was that selling ice to Eskimos thing again, right? I, I just don't like that environment. And so what I remember thinking is like, well, you could be somebody who goes, well, uh, you know, does somebody... It's like, I look for something called triggers in people. Meaning, if I was going to be a real estate agent, right, I would be a specialist real estate agent that dealt with divorcing couples. Because I know that divorcing couples usually have a house they have to sell and they have two more houses they have to buy right like that's very typical so if i was a real estate agent i would be a real estate agent who focused on families that needed support through a divorce cuz again serving right think about this when you find a trigger like a divorce that naturally means they have to sell a house and buy two more that means i get 3 sales cuz i could say i can help anybody who needs a home if you need a home call me well what about that person who's broke that can't afford a home should i be working with them no what about that person who it's the first time home buyer and they want to look at houses for four years before they buy a home? Is that a good use of my time? No. What about that person who has bought 15 homes and they're looking for an investment property? Well, then I have a very specific li- like Maybe that's my niche, but I got to get really clear on it. So here are a couple of rules if you guys want to write this down. A couple of rules that'll help you make sure that you pick the right niche. Number one, they must want and or need what you have. <laughs> right? I said serving. Yep. They must want and or need what you have. Number two, you must be able to provide them with a high value for what it is that you do. Meaning, the reason why I started working with the salons is that for me, when I started working with salons, they were getting crazy results. It was like I'd work with a salon owner and I would make them half a million dollars. I would make them millions. Like the first time I worked with Massage Envy, which is a big brand here in the US. First time I worked with Massage Envy, I took 26 locations over six months and I helped them make $2.6 million. In six months. And I got an incredible result for that client. Right. So number one, they must want and or they must want what you have. Number two, you must be able to provide them with an extraordinary result. Number three, you must want to work with them now and in the future. If you don't like these people, don't go sell them something. If you don't like them, like if I'm like, oh my God, I work with whatever, insert whatever group here, and like I don't like working with. Young people, whatever the thing is. I don't like working with 18-year-olds. Well, don't don't make 18-year-olds your client. You know, you got to fall in love with your client. The other rule, number four, that's really important. They must be able to easily afford your services. This is super important. I spent years learning how to grow the skill of sales to try and sell to the wrong people. Okay. So I used to blame you a little bit more of that. Yeah, totally. So I'll give you an example. I would get on the phone and try and sell a coaching program for 3500 US dollars. And what I didn't know is that some of these people I'm trying to sell this to didn't even pay themselves that much money every single month. You know, they wouldn't couldn't pay themselves that much. They were so I was asking them to give me more money than they made in a month. And then of course they would throw me every objection under the sun. They would throw me all the things and I just thought if I got better at selling that I would make that sale. Well, BS. If they can't even come close to affording it, then there's this magical objection behind the scenes that you already have. So one of the things I do now is I financially qualify people. So before I even talk to them, I find out what socioeconomic status they are, find out how big their team is. and That kind of gives me an idea of how big their team is. Now, the last part on this day, and this is super clutch, because I talked about marketing earlier. So they must be able to e- easily afford you. That's an important thing. It doesn't mean that it has to be... um I mean, there. like, let me put it this way. If you're selling, if you're selling something that's high end or expensive, you got to make sure that you're dealing with a luxury market client. If you're trying to sell somebody who's homeless, a Ferrari, the sales never going to happen. But if you're selling Ferraris, you got to say, well, who, who can afford what I do? Probably business owners, probably, you know, social elite people who are buying their second or third cards. Isn't somebody looking for a Honda or a Ferrari and your sales skill will magically make it happen. You got to financially qualify people. And the fifth step here in, in qualifying clients and making sure that you pick a niche is super important. The fifth thing is, oh, and I just, of course, as soon as I said it's super important, it went blank out of my mind. Ah, that's, that's the worst. All the time, it will come back though. It will, it will come back to me. But I think going back to the uh, financial qualifier, and by the way, this seems like a really clever cliffhanger that I'm leaving you with. And I'm gonna say, buy my course, you can get the fifth thing. That's not it, I literally just forgot it. Um, oh, I know what it is, this is it. The fifth thing that's super important is that you must be able to easily find them. That's it. They must be easily, easily findable. And the added caveat to that is they self identify. Here's what I mean by self identify. If your niche is I work with, and I, I mentioned people who are divorced. Like if you said people who are divorced, if I said to you, Hey, Nay, do you know anybody who's divorced? You'd probably go, Yeah, I know some. Or you'd say, and I said, Do you know anybody who's going through divorce right now? Yep, I do. If they're very easily like labeled. Okay. As that thing. But I find a lot of people that say, well, I work with small business owners, okay? Well, dude, I don't know about you, man, but I don't like to label myself as a, I am, hi, my name is Jason. I am a small business owner. Now, if I owned a restaurant, I would say I'm a restaurant owner, but a restaurant owner would never call themselves a small business owner. So they must be able to self-identify and say what that is. And, and by the way, if they self-identify, that means they belong to a group, club or association that deals with that type of person. A real estate agent, a restaurant owner, a business coach, a salon owner, a hairstylist, a whatever. So if they don't self-identify or they don't have a label that they would give themselves, you don't do it. Uh, You can't work with that group. They're hard to find. You can't address them. Your marketing will be terrible. It'll be really hard to identify them in your marketing. You're like, do you own a small business between this much and this much income, uh, much easier to say, do you own a coffee shop? Yes. Then listen to this. Like it's just, you get there, you get their you get their identity immediately and they become much easier to sell to. That sense? So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to interview you first in this series of podcasts is because Dude, one of the things I learned is, I'm glad you mentioned Kit Cunningham because yeah, one of the most certain and I will say the best way to make some serious money if you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur is not to go out and invent a new product or something like that. That's, that's a lot of years. Dude, it's Keith, a lot of work and a lot of money. A lot of money and a lot of knowledge and contacts. Mm-hmm. And that takes at least seven years to build. But Kit will say, go and buy a business example, coffee shop, example, uh, hair salons, example, ice cream shop and do exactly what you're doing. Then you buy the second one, the third one, because he lost a lot of money when he was young. He made like $30 million, lost that everything and built it back again, doing that with, um, washing cars. Yeah. And ex- can you explain a little bit? Let's run this story in our minds. I go back to the U S have enough savings to buy
1: a hair salon and I just will focus on this. I call you what happens next. You call me what happens next. This is going to sound crazy, but you don't. Uh, that wouldn't be how it works. <laughs> Here's how <laughs> this would happen. Perfect. How does it work? Yeah. This, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work that way. So what would happen is uh, you go by, you own a hair salon, you hear about us. Either you meet me at a live event, you see me online, you watch a YouTube video. Or the podcast. Or on this podcast or my podcast or anybody else's podcast. Yes. Right? What's your podcast, by the way? Uh, it's called High Performance Salon. Uh, so you can look up High Performance Salon or Salon Owner Evolution Revolution. You'll see us there. And um, I, I think the, the thing is, is that what you do is you would discover us. And yeah. this is really important because we're, we are discoverable. You would find out about us. You would probably stock our stuff for a while. Find out, you know, go on our YouTube channel, watch one of our, you know, over 85 videos, watch our client testimonials and go, Holy crap, I need these guys. And then you would reach out. Then that would happen, right? And that's it's super important because if people reach out and they're like, I've never heard of you, but somebody said I should talk to you. I go, great, go learn about us first. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's the game of letting you know your marketing do the heavy lifting for you instead of the business. I mean, I'm happy to explain to somebody what I do, but the way my business works is people come to us when they're in a high position of need and they already know that we're the solution. We don't have to do a lot of convincing that we're the right solution, right? So my entire business is built up off giving away free resources. If somebody comes to me and they go, Hey, I, I really need some help. Can you come in? and they, This is what they ask. They'll call me. I just got a text yesterday. Hey, can you come into my salon and fix it? Can you, uh, We We need to book you to come in. And I, and I say, that's great. It's $35,000 a day if you want me to come in. And I'm happy to do that. But my guess is that that's not what you're trying to accomplish. What you want to find out is what help do you need for your salon. And just telling me to come into your salon is not going to help you. So let me give you some resources. Do me a favor, watch this video and see if you connect with our message. And if you connect with our message, um, by the way, we have something called a micro webinar, it's like a 27 minute message about what we do, how we do it, what, what's changing in the industry. And I just say, if you watch that and you resonate with us, then let's build a relationship together. And like, dude, how much different is that from sales, right? It's like, it's such a marketer game instead of sales. Somebody calls me and says, I want to give you money, I'm ready to buy. And I go, cool go watch this 27-minute video. And if they're like, I'm not going to watch this 27-minute video. That's, that's not what I want. I want you to come out and do that. Then I, I have a solution. Cool. 35 grand. I'll come out and do that for you. And that's what it is now. It could be more you know, next year or whatever. But like, the idea is, is that I want them to pull back a little bit, take a second, and see where they need help. And then I, I have another thing for them. I have a, a salon owner quiz. We have a, a free quiz that we do. It's called High Performance Salon. It's at highperformancesalon.com slash quiz and it's a free evaluation tool that lets them see what areas of their salon they're good at, what areas they need to improve on. And it's a free resource. And we basically have just infinite resource for salon owners that are free. And if they really like their message, then we can work with them one-on-one and help them massively grow.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. I think we have covered a lot for just today. Just a few things. In this, in this, yeah. It's how to grow your business. Uh, yeah. What will Nate do with people starting from zero? <laughs> and definitely that will be getting to your webpage where can people find you?
1: Yeah. So, well, first of all, like I mentioned a couple of times, highperformancesalon.com is a great place to find me or basically on any massive social media. If you go on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube at High Performance Salon. If you wanted to track me down and and become homies there, look me up. Just Jason Everett, E-V-E-R-E-T-T. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, all those good things too. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, reach out, you never know. My, my big gift outside of the salon world is creating content, mainly video content, some podcast content, some written content, but mainly video. Uh, one of my other companies I do is called the Video Rockstar Academy, where I teach people how to create video content in a meaningful way to amplify their message. And uh, that's something else that I do sometimes internationally. And it, it's, uh, it's profound, man, because this game of the internet is really powerful, just like you can listen to this podcast and go do a little stocking of your own and find me in those places, it's a powerful place to be right now. So, dude, enjoy it. Thank
0: you very much. Jason, is always a pleasure. Please do contact Jason. Hey, bro. He's awesome. He's a great guy Thanks, before man. anything else. And uh, just so, so pleasurable to talk to you, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for doing what you do, man. It's, it's rare that people put out you know content that's very valuable. And you, you ask amazing questions. And I know your goal is to help people become financially free. So thank you for doing what you do, bro. Uh, I do. You got it. Keep at it. And if they don't become financial free, at least they know what it takes or how right. it really looks like. They, they have to change their head before they can change what their actions are, as you and I both know, man. And I think just by listening to this podcast and by committing to this podcast, listening to it all the time, you're gonna get more invaluable resources from listening to Nay. So, well done, bro. And I have nothing to sell, so that makes it awesome, even better. More stuff, more right. value, giving, giving, and giving, bro. Well, thank you very much, and see you next time, Jason. Thanks a lot, man. Bye.
0: Did you learn something today? How can you apply your insights? What's next for you? The fastest way to make things happen is to just share this podcast episode with more people that may find it valuable too. Talk about it with them and surround yourself with like-minded people. Hope you found this valuable. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.